Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship today. We're so glad you're all with us. Some of you here in person and some of you on the stream. The greatness of our God. So I wanted to start with this. Uh, Dennis Solvey, who served for many years at uh, Windsor Lifeline Outreach, has kind of stepped out of his role over there now at this point, but he was faithful there for many years and he was very instrumental in helping with Pastor Howie and uh, Don Terrio and Dave and some others that um, have built. And I got this letter recently from uh, Harvest Hands Outreach, which is a ministry, uh, I believe it's in St. Thomas. And they were just talking about how through our blessing them with product, they've blessed other 50, there's 50 ministries and, and agencies that they've been able to bless with uh, clothing um, as a result of one of the things that we're doing over at Windsor Lifeline Outreach right now, and I thought that was really interesting. So when we drop off our clothing donations and our food donations, they're, they're feeding people, but they're also giving clothing to people, and that's expanded now to 50 organizations in the London area as well. Yeah, I was, I was excited about that. So well done, guys, at Windsor Lifeline Outreach. So today, I'm going to be talking to you about bittersweet. And, uh, you know, how many know in life sometimes things are bittersweet? You know, uh, I, I think I was sharing with you, I put an electrical line, so I had to dig a trench. And uh, it was a little bit bitter when you're digging it. <laughs> it's a little bitter in the back after you're done digging. But, but when we finish the trench... They put a conduit in, and then, they, then you have to go back and fill in the trench. And I'm like, that's kind of bitter, too, because I dug a hole to fill it back in. <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. Exodus 15, verses 22 to 27. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea. And they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Marah, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it in the water and made the water good to drink. If it was there at Mara that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him, he said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decree decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. After leaving Mara, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees. They camped there beside the water. So, the story that we're reading here is Israel came out of Egypt. So they were enslaved in Egypt for, you know, about 400 years. And they came out of slavery through the 10 plagues, which some of you may or may not have heard about, but Moses came and the water turned into blood and then the frogs and anyway, the cattle died and ultimately the firstborn died. 
So Israel is leaving, and then Pharaoh changes his mind again and decides to send his army after them, and God wipes out the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. So they have this great celebration at the beginning of the chapter, Exodus 15. Uh, you know, Miriam took her tambourine, and horse and rider are thrown into the sea. The Lord our God, you know, the great is our victory. So it was a time of rejoicing. Three days later, after this miraculous delivery, after 400 years of slavery, when really they walked away with the wealth of Egypt. Because if you read the story, it seems that every Israelite person was asking their Egyptian friends for all of their gold and silver when they left, and they were more all than happy to give it to them and say, here, please go, please leave, take this, here's my gold, go away. And three days later, in the wilderness of Shur, without water, you know, all of a sudden, it's like something switched inside of them, and then they're upset. You know, they finally come to this place of water, but it's, it's bitter. They can't drink it. It's a dry season. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit today, because how many know all of us have dry seasons in life? Okay, maybe some of you haven't walked through a dry season yet. You know those uninspiring, lonely, terrifying times that are painful and weary and the days seem to drip endlessly on? The light of hope fades to black. Despair and disillusionment begin to set in. It seems the enemy is one. You're surrounded on all sides. It feels like you can't get a break. You can't get ahead. You labor and toil for hours and for what? Everything around you seems to fall apart. The trials you're facing seem overwhelming. Anyone ever been there? I got a few yups. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. It's truly the dark night of the soul, as the poets say. You're so dry and thirsty, then you find water and it's bitter. You think you're going to get some refreshing and it doesn't work out how you thought it was supposed to. What an illusion. Seriously, God, what's the point in sending me refreshing water if it's going to kill me? In this case, it was sorrow on top of sorrow that caused them to stop and murmur against God and Moses who not too long ago miraculously delivered them out of Egypt. Now think about this. How long has it been since you walked out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? How long ago was it when you got a revelation of Jesus as your Savior and you acknowledged him and repented of your sin and he took you out of darkness and put you into the kingdom of light? How long ago was it that you received forgiveness of your sins? How long ago was it that God delivered you from you fill in the blank and he brought you into a better place? And see... Sometimes we allow our focus to get off of Jesus and what he's done in our life, and we start looking at the circumstances around us, and that can be very discouraging. God delivered us from the grip of hell and the enslavement of sin. And if we're not careful, you know, we can easily fall into focusing on the struggle. This is easy to do when the bonds of friendship fail. Has anyone ever been betrayed by a friend? The sorrows of life are stacking up around you and multiplying like rabbits. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Your prayers seem to be bouncing off the walls, let alone going up to the Creator. <laughs> you feel isolated, tired, depressed, discouraged, overwhelmed, hopeless, and you feel the life seeping out of your soul. Sometimes, I'm not going to lie, life gives you a bitter cup to drink. And some of you are drinking that, and you kind of sit there and look there and go, wow. I have to put this reference in. <laughs> Some of you won't understand this, but we got no food, we got no jobs, and our pets' heads are falling off. Anyway, I had to throw that in. Some of you will get that later, some of you will never get that, but that's okay. Despair, overwhelming despair. Let's go to Genesis 41. 
Joseph is the story in Genesis 41, and he had gone through many things, okay? And he had every opportunity to be bitter because life had thrown him some bitter fruit. He had a dream that he was going to rule over his brothers and his father, and then like seven years later, he goes to his brothers one day, and they decide they're going to kill him. So one of the brothers kind of says, well, maybe let's just put him in a pit and let him die there, and we'll take his his coat of many colors, and we'll put some blood on it and tell dad that maybe, you know, an animal got him or something. And then later they changed their mind and sold him to the slave traders. So Joseph got sold into slavery. He finds himself in Egypt in Potiphar's house where he served for about seven years, but somewhere along the way, Potiphar's wife set her eyes on Joseph, and because he didn't yield to her desires, she accused him falsely of assaulting her. So now he's in prison. So here we are, 14 years later, he's had this dream. He got sold into slavery, and now he's in prison. So seven years later in the prison, you know, and somewhere along the way, the butler and the baker of the pharaoh come along, and he interprets a dream, and the baker loses his head, and the butler gets restored to his position, and Joseph says, remember me. So not only... Is he rejected, despised, sold into slavery, falsely accused, but now he's forgotten because the butler forgot about him when he got his position back. How many say Joseph's in good shape? But it's amazing how in a moment, seemingly forgotten, God elevated him to his rightful place through all the trials he remained true to God. In the book of Ruth, chapter 1, we see Naomi, who had lost her husband. Her sons were dead. Her wealth was gone, and she was so discouraged. She's like, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. I don't want to be called my name anymore because life has just beat me up so badly. She was hopeless and discouraged. It seemed to Naomi that she was beyond rescue, didn't it, when she came back to her homeland? It seemed like she was beyond hope, that it was never going to change. Look at Rachel in Genesis 30 or Hannah in 1 Samuel 1. They wanted children, but they were both barren. And the worst part is, all the other wives were popping out babies like they were baby factories. All the rival wives were having babies, and they couldn't have any. And both of them were tormented because they wanted to have children, and they couldn't. How bitter was Jacob, the trickster? You know, Jacob who deceived his father into the family blessing over Esau? You remember that, right? Jacob and his mom, Rachel, they tricked his father, Isaac. He was the trickster. Funny, you go a little bit down the road and he's over with his uncle Laban and he says, I want to marry your daughter, Rachel. And Laban says, well, the bride price is you worked for me for seven years. So Jacob worked for seven years. Laban agreed that he could marry his daughter. He just kind of forgot to mention which one. So Jacob... In the wedding tent, the father brings the daughter in, he takes off the veil, and guess what? It's not Rachel that he wanted, it's Leah. It's the sister he didn't want. The trickster got tricked. How bitter. Then he had to work another seven years for Rachel and another seven years to get all his crops. 21 years, again. Then years later, Jacob is grieving his favorite wife, Rachel's death, because she died in childbearing. So, so she had cried out to God because she was barren to have children. Eventually, he opened her womb, and she had two. But you got to remember, and my wife pointed out to me that I forgot to mention this in the first service, 
Jacob cursed Rachel when she stole her father's household idols. So years later when she died, that curse landed, right? And she shouldn't have stolen the household idols like that, especially if you worship the God, you don't need idols. But she did die in childbirth, and, and the thing she longed for is actually what took her out in the end because of the curse. But her firstborn, or Jacob's firstborn son, Reuben, took his concubine at that time and started having sexual relationships with her because he was grieving his favorite wife's death. So see, how much bitterness would be there in Jacob's life? This isn't working out how he thought it should, is it? I don't think it's supposed to work out that way. How bitter was Job when he literally lost everything in a very short amount of time? I mean, messenger after messenger was coming in that day saying, oh, guess what? All your kids are dead. Guess what? All your cattle are dead. All your camels are gone. All your wealth is gone. Boom. In a matter of a very short amount of time, Job had everything and went to heaven nothing. And his health was even challenged at the time. Sometimes we as believers, we wade through the bitter waters of life. Some people lose their marriage, some their job, others their investments, your children. Did you have a dream that died like Joseph's? What about Rachel's, Hannah's, Jacob's, Job's? You know, in those moments when everything's not working out how we think it should, we say things like, God, why is this happening to me? Or God, if you really love me, why would you allow this to happen? Or God, if you're really just, why is there so much injustice in my life? Anyone ever thought that? It's okay, we can be real in church. Yeah. What kind of sadistic, maniacal sovereign are you anyway? <laughs> think about this. Even the disciples that were with Jesus for three and a half years... They were so rocked in their theology. It messed up their theology so much when Jesus died and went into the grave that they went back to fishing. It didn't work out how they thought it should. Why? Because they thought Jesus was going to ride in Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans in a revolution. Guess they got that wrong. But in the end, well, we'll get to the end in a minute. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's read verses 1 to 10. A couple things to point out here. Be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. So remember at the beginning when they came to Marah, the bitter place? It was like 40 years later now. They're just getting ready to enter into the place of promise. How many of you waited 40 years to receive the promise? I mean, don't we normally pray and expect God to answer our prayer like right that second? And, and we want the trumpets to come down and the angel to appear and behold, here's the answer to our prayer. You know what I'm talking about? I, I don't... See, catch this next part. 40 years wandering around, a whole generation got wiped out. Joshua, Caleb were about the only ones who got to enter into the promised land. Not even Moses, because he disobeyed God, was allowed to enter into the promised land. You know that, right? Because the first time God told Moses to strike the rock, the second time he said, speak to the rock. And Moses disobeyed and struck the rock in his anger, and guess what? He didn't get to go to the promised land. Disobedience. Humbling you, 
and testing you to prove your character. What? God would want to humble us and test us to prove our character? He does. He still does that today. He wants us to be humble, not prideful. He wants us to be proven in our character. God, why am I going through stuff? Because he's working stuff out inside you. He wants to see what happens when you get pressed, when you get crushed. When it feels like life is pressing you down, what comes out of you? Well, I guess that depends on what's in you. Is the word of God in you? Or is fear in you? Is anger in you? Is frustration in you? Because when we're pressed, what's really in our heart is what really comes out. He goes on, he says, and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry, and then he fed you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. We live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out, your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord God disciplines you for your own good. See, they came out of slavery, but they, were not quite, they hadn't quite worked some things out with God yet. They weren't quite used to obeying his voice. They still wanted to obey the voice of their flesh. God was working some stuff out in them. God is always looking for humility, not pride inside of our lives. But there's a process by which your character gets developed. Everyone say process. process. We have to go through this process. We go through some stuff. We learn some things. We go through some stuff. We learn some things. God's working it out. They talk about the refiner's fire. You ever heard about the refiner's fire? What do they do when they purify a, a precious metal? They bring it to temperature in a crucible, and what floats up to the top? The impurities. Yeah, they call it the dross, but it's the impurities. So what does the, the master smith do? They scrape off the impurities. And why? Because it refines the metal and makes it pure. Isn't that what the storms of life do for us? When you're going through some stuff, it, all the junk starts coming out of our life, and God says, I'll take care of that if you let me. Let me scrape that away. Oh, a little bit too much pride over here. Oh, a little bit too much anger over here. Get rid of this resentment. If we allow God to operate inside of our lives, if we allow the Holy Spirit to speak in and through us, there's a process. When you bypass the process, it will be catastrophic for you. Can everyone? <laughs> catastrophic. You have to go through the process to accomplish the assignment that God has on your life. If you have not learned to obey God's voice in the season of preparation, what are you going to do when you go live with your assignment? Because it is vitally important that we hear God's voice and we obey it every moment of every day. No matter where God calls us, no matter what our assignment is, we have an obligation to listen to his voice and be obedient. Obedience to his command is required. He goes over this and over this and over this in the scriptures. But it's interesting, in Genesis 15, 25, we see what Moses threw some wood in the water, and all of a sudden the water that was bitter became sweet. Hmm, wonder what that wood represents. Let me guess. It's the cross. See, it was a picture of what was going to happen because in your life, if you take the bitter places and the bitter things that you've walked through and the bitter curves that life has thrown at you and the pain and the shame and the guilt and you take it to the foot of the cross and you lay it down, there's something that happens when God starts granting some forgiveness and starts releasing you from some things and starts setting you free and liberating you, mind, body, and spirit from the enslavement of sin. 
guess what? Life becomes sweet. It's only the cross that can take the bitter things and make them sweet. The cross turns bitterness to sweetness. Look at Joseph. He got promoted after 21 years. Look at Rachel. She ended up having two children. Jacob became the forefather of Israel. David, ultimately the Messiah Jesus. Hannah had a son, Samuel. Look at Job. God restored him and gave him double what he lost. Look at Naomi. Her honor was restored when Ruth married Boaz. And oh yeah, wait for it. Ruth and Boaz became the great, great, great grandparents of David. You know, the one who killed the giant? Who also was the lineage that brought forth Jesus, the Messiah? I'm always fascinated when I look at things like genealogies in the scriptures because when you start looking into it, you see that Rahab the harlot at Jericho got into the lineage of Christ. Ruth the Moabitess got into the lineage of Christ. There's others. See, Jesus, while the Jewish people were who he used to bring forth the Messiah and set up the old covenant, in the new covenant, he's available to all people. Jew and Gentile, Jew and non-Jew, it doesn't matter. He made the gospel available to everyone, male and female, both. Israel conquered Canaan, inherited the land they were promised. I mean, from the time Abraham got the dream, it was like 500 years before the people of Israel inherited the land. 400 years in slavery, 40 years in the wilderness. I think Abraham was somewhere around 90 before he gave birth to his son. Whatever time it took to get to Joseph in Egypt, maybe 500 and something years. That's a long time to wait to inherit the promise. But after the pain of Mara, the Israelites came to Elam. There was shade. There was fresh water there. There was rejuvenation. There was hope. It was an oasis. Isn't that how the church is supposed to be? Aren't we supposed to be an oasis of love to a troubled world? When your life touches people, is it an oasis of love that they see? Are we living any different than the world system? There was 12 springs there, man. If you're thirsty, it doesn't get much better than Elam. 12 fresh springs to drink from. I believe the church in North America has been at Mara too long. North America-wide, our churches have been in a place of bitterness and a place of you know, we've got the cross that's kind of helping us process stuff. But there's not been a lot of victory in the North American church. There's pockets of it here and there. But we really need to get to the place of Elam. I'm thirsting for more of God and his goodness. How about you? I want to see God's glory revealed. Even for the sake of my children here, I want to see God's glory revealed. I've seen things here and there in my day. I've seen this miracle and that miracle, and I've seen this movement and that movement, but I just want to see God come. And my Bible tells me he's coming back for a glorious church. Well, if Revelations is firing up, and we'll look around us and we see things happening, guess what? It says it's going to be a glorious church without spot and wrinkle. That means that we're either going to get on board and become a part of the glorious church, or we're going to get swept away with the current or whatever philosophies out there right now. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, 
Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. We have to purify ourselves. We have to get rid of the junk in our lives. We have to allow the Spirit of God to point out the dark areas when we're looking at the Word of God and in prayer and let Him scoop that garbage out of us. It's a process. I get it. Day one, there's going to be more junk there than there is day 1,000, day 10,000. But we keep staying in the fire. We keep staying in the presence of God. We keep allowing His Spirit to address our hearts. We keep allowing Him to speak into our lives. We keep allowing the Word of God to shine light on us. See, in your heart, there's some areas of your heart that all of us haven't really given God fully, have we? Well, God, you can touch anything in my life, but this sin over here, I, I just, I want you to leave that alone right now, God. I just want to be angry for a little while at this person because you don't know what they did to me. Or this secret thing that we like to do over here. You know, God, I like to look at stuff on the internet sometimes. Just leave me alone. Or I like to watch these movies or read these books that I know I shouldn't. See, cleanse ourselves from everything can defile us. If we're going to be a spotless, pure church, if we're going to be a people that wants to give God honor and praise, we have to come to the place where we purify ourselves. We have to work towards holiness. We've got to be taking steps in that direction. And I understand that everybody's at a different place in their relationship with God, and we're all working on this together. And the benefit of community is when one falls down, someone else beside them lifts them up. If you fall by yourself, who's going to lift you up? In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 10 to 13, don't grumble as some of them did. And they were destroyed by the angel of death. Aren't you glad we're not in the old covenant anymore? <laughs> These things happened to them as an example for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Wait a minute. These things we're reading it back way back in the old, it was written down to warn us that live at the end of the age that we need to guard the way that we live and we need to pay attention to the things that we do and the things that we say? Yep. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he'll show you a way out so you can endure. We've got to put off the murmuring and complaining and stop making excuses. We've got to start allowing God to be God, and we need to start looking to Him as our source of life, our source of hope, and our way of escape. You know, when people are tempted, I'm amazed at how many people will go to Google to find a way out of temptation as opposed to asking the Creator to show them the way out of temptation. Or they'll call 10 friends to try to get 10 opinions to see what people think. <laughs> and they'll get nine different answers. And then they pick the one that lines up with what they really want to do, not the one that lines up with what God's Word says. None of you have ever done that, though. Put off the works of the flesh. Selfish desires, lust, greed, pride. Mark 7, this is Jesus talking in verse 20. And then he added, it's what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, 
sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within and they defile you. This is the old nature. This is the old man. This is the pre-Jesus days. This is what happens because your heart is deceitfully wicked. It fools itself into thinking it's okay. When you come to Christ, he changes something inside you. He changes your moral compass and he gives you his standard of righteousness. And you start seeing things through his lens, through his eyes. And then suddenly we know the difference between right and wrong. We can discern between good and evil. Isn't that what it talked about at the end of Hebrews 5 that we picked up reading with uh, Graham and Chantel at the beginning in, in 6 where they went on to the basic foundational teachings? See, the Bible weaves everything together. It's a consistent message of hope. It's a consistent message about the cross. It's a consistent message about the transformed life. We have to put off our rebellion against God and his ways and be obedient to him and his word and his commands. If you want to go from the place of bitterness to the place of refreshing, you're going to have to insert the cross. You're going to have to be obedient. You're going to have to surrender your will to God. Are you thirsty? In John 4, Verses 13 and 14, right in the middle of the conversation with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who Jesus wasn't even supposed to be talking to, according to the cultural norms. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Why? Because the new man, the new life, the spirit of life that God gives us at salvation changes everything. And there's so many people that are thirsty for hope. So many people are thirsty for God. They need him more than they know, and they don't even realize that they need him half the time. And it leads me to this amazing passage in 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 51. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. How many want to hear a wonderful secret? It won't be a secret if I tell you. I'm going to tell you anyway. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet's blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. We who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. I don't know about you, but when I was digging the other day, my back was hurting. And I was not feeling the best because I was tired. Guess what? There's going to come a day when the aches and pains go away. The sickness and disease goes away. Why? Because we get a new body, an immortal body, that's not going to die or break down. It's not going to decay. My immortal body's going to have lots of hair. <laughs> Just like it used to be. <laughs> Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. How can we have victory in death? Why? Because we gain eternal life. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? For the sin is the sting that results in death, 
and the law gives sin its power, but thank God he gave us the victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to get to, verse 58. So my dear brothers and sisters, that's us, be strong and immovable. What are we going to be strong in? Strong in the Lord and movable in our faith. When stuff is going on around you, you're immovable. I like to give people this picture. When you anchor your life to the truth of Jesus Christ in the cross, Jesus crucified, eternal life, repentance of sin. When you anchor your life to Jesus Christ in the cross, you're operating in wisdom and fear of the Lord, which is pillars. So it doesn't matter how the storms of life blow around you, you're not going anywhere. Because you're anchored to a firm foundation, you're anchored to truth, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But here's it, strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know. Can everyone say, I know? know. Nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. And sometimes people get discouraged because they think that they need to be doing all these great miracles and signs and wonders. And the truth is, the person who picks up the papers on the chairs and brings the cup of water and takes the communion elements and out there directing in the parking lot and when we get children church again, kids church running again, you know, people taking care of the kids. Nothing you do for the Lord is useless. When you share faith with people and they don't fall on their knees and give their life to Christ right away, guess what? Nothing you do for the Lord is useless. Can everyone stand with me? And we're going to go towards communion, but I'm not going to go there quite yet. Jesus came to earth and lived among us. He was God, he was man, but he lived a sinless life. And because he was able to conquer sin and live a pure life and a holy life, when he was executed on the cross, when he was executed under the Romans, because the Jewish leaders wanted him dead. He died as a sacrifice for mankind's sin. That means any sin you've ever created or done in the past, any sin you've committed in the future, any sin you've committed today, Jesus already died for your sin. And what he did is he stayed in the grave for three days and then rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death. And by faith in his sacrifice, we can receive forgiveness of sins. We can be restored to life with Christ. And we gain eternal life. That's how we get a new heart. We get a new spirit. We repent of our sin. We acknowledge that Jesus saved us and he'll change us from the inside out. And he'll take our heart that doesn't want to hear truth and doesn't want to follow his ways and he'll give us a new heart that is open to hear the word of God. It's open to hear truth. So I want to pray with you. Father, I ask you to help us all. Lord, we can acknowledge that we're sinners and we can repent of our sin. And we ask you, Lord, to save us, deliver us from hell's grip, deliver us from our sin, change our heart and help us to have eternal life with you so that you can be the one who made a way for us today. In Jesus' name. Maybe you prayed that prayer for the first time ever. In a minute, I'm going to have you come up here with me, but I'd like to open the altar for a minute. I know it's a little bit more challenging with COVID, so try to stay six feet apart.
That'll make life easier for me. But I want to open the altar, and if you want to come and take communion with us at the front, listen to me. If life has got you down, if you're walking through a bitter season, if you've taken a couple curves, if you've taken a left hook, if it's knocked you down, if your marriage is challenged, if you've been struggling at work, you've been struggling in relationship, if you're feeling alone and isolated, if you're feeling discouraged and depressed, if you're anxious and afraid, if you're in a bitter place at the moment, and that's okay, many people walk through bitter seasons even when people don't know what's going on in your life. You're welcome to come down here and join us. You can just come out of your chairs, it's okay, we're not gonna bite. I'm not even gonna cough in your general direction. But my point is this, there's a point of contact here right now, and I believe that God will take you from the place of Mara through the cross, and he's gonna bring you to the place of Elam of refreshing. And we know that stuff is going on all around us, and there's others, that's okay, come on down. Don't worry about who's going down or not going down. And if you're at home, you might wanna just make a stand up wherever you're at. Make a point of contact today and say, you know, God, that's me. I'm not in a good place and I need to be in a better place with you. And as we come to the table where we celebrate the Lord's Supper, he took the bread and really he was broken so that we could be made whole. So Father, in our place of brokenness, we look to you to restore life to us and hope to us and healing. Father, I speak to any sickness and disease now in the name of Jesus, I curse you and say, leave the bodies of your saints. And we receive health. We receive wholeness in our minds right now. And because of the brokenness of Christ, we are made whole. So Father, we take the bitter season right now and we lay it at the foot of the cross. And we ask you to pour out the refreshing of the Holy Spirit now and bring life in the situations where it looks like death is coming forth. In Jesus' name. And at the cup, which is really the celebration of the new covenant, we do this in remembrance of his death. Father, I thank you that at the cup, your blood was shed to make a way for us to be restored to wholeness, that we can receive forgiveness of sins. We can receive your life, and we can live with you forever. But Father, I thank you that his mercy and truth has been released today that iniquity is cleansed, purged, delivered off of the life of your people. And there's an exchange taking place right now where we lay down the bitter things and we take up the cross. And as your cross comes into our life and we die to ourselves, the new life is arising and it's a life of hope, a life of faith, and a life where we can receive your love. And I speak your love over each person here today. I speak your peace. And I thank you, Lord, that you are for us, not against us. In Jesus' name. As you're all standing here with me today, you know, this is the time when we receive our tithes and our offerings, and then we're about to go out the door. So let me pray for you as you go. 
Father, I thank you for the great opportunity we have to sow in your kingdom. And Lord, you are faithful to us in the arena of finances and our every bill is paid and our every debt is eliminated. I thank you, Father, for the principle of seed time and harvest. And as your people are faithful to you, even taking care of the poor, as we talked about at the beginning, I thank you that you repay. Lord, I thank you that you make a way, Lord, that those that desire to sow seed will have more seed to sow. And as we go today, Lord, I thank you that we can truly, as Psalms 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And you are a place of refuge for us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you all. As you go about your week, demonstrate the love and the kindness of Jesus. Thank you for coming today. We'll see you next time.